0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have all you here today. We, we have a really wonderful service for you today, and I think you're going to leave here inspired with maybe some different things to think about. And, and we're really going to be looking at, you know, like that little skeptic within us, how do we get rid of it? That's what it comes down to. Because I imagine all of us have at least one place in our lives we're skeptical, Maybe more. So how do we look at that? Because it's important. We're in the middle of this series called Reconnect. Reconnect, like, how do we reconnect with each other? How do we reconnect with the people we love? How do we reconnect as a community? How do we reconnect? And how do we do that mindfully, soulfully? We've been looking at a series here. We started out with I Am Listening. Last week, we looked at Is It True? This week, we look look at Is It Kind, is it kind? We're gonna look at kindness today and and how that can, how that can be a way out of this, this kind of skeptical thing that we can find ourselves in. So what I wanna do is I wanna read a story from the Bible to you. And this story comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Again, there's four Gospels, four people who, who talked about Christ's life. And it's a story where they're talking about the kingdom of God, and, and that's just important to understand. Like that phrase, we tend to think of that phrase as being like, well, they're talking about heaven. Actually, they're talking about earth. They're talking about how we live here and now in a way that's actually going to move us towards heaven. And it's a beautiful story. Now, now it needs a little historical background because it will sound strange to our North American ears. It's a story about a wedding, And what was the tradition in the wedding is that the bridegroom would come riding in to great applause and acclaim. And you'd have very, very young bridesmaids, 10 bridesmaids who would meet him. That was the tradition. And then they would escort him over to the bride's house where the wedding would take place. So that's kind of the historical context of the story you're about to hear. And then we're going to start pulling it apart a little bit and saying, okay, so this is at a surface level. New church, we believe, yeah, there's a surface level and there's a lot there, but we also believe there's a deeper level. A poetic meaning to the story that can speak directly to our lives today and how our lives can become more fruitful, more connected, how they can become richer and more loving. So please listen to this story. This is from Matthew 25. At the time, at the time, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and think bridesmaids there and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, in other words, that would have been like their flashlights at the time for the kids who were out there, but did not take any oil. In other words, kids, they didn't take extra batteries. So think, they took flashlights, no extra batteries. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. In other words, they took the flashlight and the battery. For modern day people, they took their iPhone and the recharger. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They were all drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then they all woke up, trimmed their lamps. In other words, they, they cut down their lamps to just the wick that would burn. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Where's my recharger? No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way, the foolish ones were on their way to buy the oil. The bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready to ready to went in with the bridegroom, took him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So I want to talk a bit about, you know, again, like what does this story actually mean? What does it actually have to tell us? And it's important to understand, again, I really want to reiterate here, you have to think of these stories as kind of like coming down to earth. The Lord's Prayer, the most famous prayer in the Bible says, Thy kingdom come, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Real important. As in heaven, so upon the earth. So what does this have to teach us in a very meaningful way? Here's a piece of new church. The life that leads to heaven is not one of withdrawal from the world but a life actually in the world. Whereas Dietrich Bonhoeffer, listen to this, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he said, you know, well, actually the the spiritual life, it's real simple. You have to jump in with both feet to both worlds. Both feet in the natural world, both feet in what's spiritual, the bigger picture. And, And that sounds paradoxical, but it actually is possible to do. Now with this story, with this story, it's a five and a five thing. A five and a five thing. First off, it says that there are five foolish, five foolish bridesmaids. Now, I want to talk over here. I want to talk about that foolish part. There's five foolish ones. Five of them who just, they they, they, they don't get it. They're just, they're missing. This is how that's spoken of. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take oil with them. Please say the W word there. The Wise, the wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. All right, so let's look at this. Let's look at, like, we have the foolish, we have the wise. Let's stand in this place here of the foolish for a minute. Now, Now, the foolish part, and I think we all can identify with that part. This is how new church theology would hold it. Kind of an interesting perspective. That foolish part grows from an arrogant self-dependence, a misplaced sense of independence. It's that belief, you know, that foolish part that I can—I got this. I got this all handled. I don't need extra anything. I can go out and simply make it work all by my little self. But what if we found out, like I know a lot of you know this, the older you get, the more you realize that you need help. You need help. That none of us... Can actually do it alone, and it's you know I used to teach I used to teach American history, and there was this this revolutionary flag as the American country was evolving to actually having a beautiful national flag. And that original flag was was this rattlesnake, and it said "Don't tread on me." That's very much like that that very defensive, foolish part. The believes we can just do it by ourselves, and you know you look at how things have shifted, and and how we can really get that there are these bigger unities. That are wonderful and beautiful and powerful. And when you look at its folks, it, what's interesting to me about these lines, it's not that self-dependence is bad. Like, like for me to really be accountable to take care of myself, that's good. For me to be independent, because if you're not independent, you're codependent. Don't be codependent. You know, independence can be a good thing. The problem is, is when it's arrogant. The problem is, is when it's misplaced when we stress it the wrong way. And human nature for all time has had this as a huge challenge. I mean, you go back thousands of years before these words of Christ from the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, it's, it's, it's where God's talking to this prophet Isaiah, and he said, you said in your heart, please say those two words, you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else like me. Well, that I am, you know, again, like for us, our ears, we don't really get that. But in in the Old Testament, the much older part of the Bible than from what we're reading today, the I am, that's what God called himself. So what it's really saying there, I am God, and there is no one else like me. That's not a terribly fun person to hang out with. Not a fun person to hang out with. Because that's that arrogance, folks, that starts to get into the way. Now, I'm going to move over here because we have an option. We can stay in this foolish place, and I think all of us do. Some of us go there several times a day. We can stay in that place. But then God is slowly but surely moving us over to something different. And that's over here. When we come over to this part, folks, you're all going to get this quiz right, right? Foolish part over there, the wise part over here. The wise part over here. It's that's, that's a much different, a much more enriching place. It's a place where we actually have, again, I put them up here, the extra battery. <laughs> where we have the cell phone recharger. Where, where we get like, oh, I better be thinking ahead. I'm gonna need other people. What will this look like? I better ask. Um, can I tell you guys a total like way out in left field story? Please say yes. Okay, here's a way out in left field story. So, so I was reading this one, and it's about these Arctic explorers, and the, the first two groups to go down, uh, one group was from Europe, so of course they decided they were going to pack all of their tools and food and everything. What pack animal were they going to use? Take a guess. Horses. How well the horses do in the Arctic? Not so well. What did the other group do? The other group figured out what works much better. Dogs. It's because they asked. It's because they asked. They asked people like, well, what actually works there? The other group had that arrogant self, you know, the arrogant sense of self like, I have the answer. The other group was humble enough to ask, to bring that extra to it, that extra kindness, that actual lovingness that actually can open us up. Now look at this beautiful line here that talks about what that can be. Too often we confuse love with attachment. A state of mind characterized by clinginess, greed, and an impulse to possess. To me, I'm going to have you say those two words really loud. To me, love is a form of transformative generosity. Isn't that a beautiful word, a beautiful phrase? Wise people really get that. They get that there's a transformative generosity that can start to happen, and people committed to kindness that can start to happen and can start to grow. And we find an abundance there. It's an expansive state of mind in which we feel an inner resource of abundance. We can see it grow. And what we can see there, folks, with the transformative bit, when we come back in the second half, I'm going to go into this in a lot more detail. We can see that we're able to communicate and listen, and we're able to pull together the truth and kindness we're able to pull together this real honesty, this deep honesty, where we're, we're understanding what is treasured, what is actually true in its biggest sense. And we're also able to offer what's kind at the same time. Now, that's a trick. True and kind very rarely go together, at least, at least as, as I experience it. They rarely do. And how do we pull that together? Well, it is possible. It is possible. Um... It's very possible to. I want to set up this video. And do you guys feel like you can sing from your seats with me? Can you sing from your seats? I can't sing at all. So nobody, like, listen to my singing. But just sing with me. Think of Harry Carey from Chicago. What was the song he was known for? Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Let's just sing this, that, that real quick. Ready? Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back, for it's root, root, root for the Pirates. If they don't win, it's a shame, for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right. Was that all right? All right. I thought it was pretty bad, but you know, the, you know that, that, that baseball thing, and I want to show you here a baseball video Because the baseball video will show you like it's a dad who pulls what is true and pulls what is kind, actually pulls it together in a way that you're going to see transformative generosity. So I want you to take a look at this and then I want you to share like, yeah, how is that example of transformative generosity? Take a look at this video. Only tonight, the young pitcher, and the pep talk from his coach heard by millions. It's the biggest game of their Our young lives. Game from South Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The, first the Little League team from Bend, Oregon, in a battle with a team from Italy. Isaiah Bugsy Jensen on the mound. Hi, my name is Bugsy Jensen. I'm my favorite baseball player. as Clayton Kershaw. 12-year-old Isaiah pitching Sartini. a great game until he gets a little tired in the top of the fifth. Now he can take his base. Out, for Out comes his coach Here for a pep talk. But that coach comes just happens to be Bugsy's dad. I just came out to tell you how much I love you. as a dad and a player. Okay, you're doing awesome out here. One more hitter and then I'm going to Juge. This is your last hitter. Okay, understand? Come right after. Him. Okay, cheer up. Have some fun. Come right after. Him. Okay, let's go. One more batter before Bugsy's replaced. That pet talk from dad worked. Another strikeout, and the team goes on to win. A victory from nine players from Bend, Oregon, and one very proud dad. A father and a son can't beat that. I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Good night. So I, I, I want to hear from you. Like, how is that an example of transformative generosity? Like, where do you see the transformative generosity in it? Where do you see what's true and what's kind coming together? So I need a couple of people just to raise their hand, and then I'm gonna come around with a microphone here. Who's brave enough to say? Do you have someone out there? Who's brave? Don't make me call on you. All right, there we go. Thank you, Marcus. Competition in sports is hard enough. Um, so for him to come out there, I'm sure the kid was expecting, you know, a little bit less of a kind answer there. So for him to come with that much kindness, it really filled the boy up with enough love to bring out that extra mile in him. It's great. And, it's, and it's, it is powerful to watch. Like the dad just didn't come out and yank him. He gave him one more batter. What's another piece that you're thinking when you see that? Uh, just the idea that... You know, it's his son, and you would think that he'd want him to keep going in that game as a, you know an extension of himself. Yeah, you know, live vicariously through his son, and yet he had the honesty to know, nope, he's tired. I'm going to show him I love him and uh, put him back <laughs> on the bench. <laughs> yeah, how many of us have lived vicariously through our children on the athletic field? Yes, you know, all the time. It's you on that wrestling mat, and, and it is like there's there's a lack of attachment there, right? A beautiful. Lack of attachment, like the son. Anybody want to answer one more thing? One more thing, one more thing, one more thing? Was there somebody? Sorry. Um, I just feel that uh, the father letting him know that to have a good time and enjoy himself, and it's just a game, but to have fun at it relieves a lot of stress and pressure off the kid that... You know, this is just a, it's just a game and to have fun It's just life. a game. Yeah. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. It's just a game. I love, I love that line, folks, because I think it's so much part of the transformative generosity. It gets right to it. The first word, and as the band comes out, I want you to think about this. The first words that that father offered when he came out. Let's say those three words together. I just need to tell you I love you. I love you. You're tired. You're coming out of the game. (laughs) You get that? Like, isn't that beautiful? I love you. You're tired. You're coming out of the game. Have fun. It is possible. When we come back, let's dig into it even deeper. It is possible to marry in very deep ways. Communication that is both true and as well is both kind. Some of our folks online had had just beautiful comments. The coach dad refocused his son on what matters. Listen to this, folks. And I think this is so important. Not the game, but the connection. Not the game, but the connection. Things were really right-sized for that dad in that story. It's, it's interesting, right? Because we, we have, I think all of us can identify these two parts, you know, the foolish side as well as the wise side. The foolish dad would have come out again, as Alan said, probably would have seen it as an extension of him like, you're letting me down, you're letting the team down, focus, 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 you know, would have done that. But there obviously was a wise side that showed up with transformative generosity in a moment that his son will remember for the rest of his life. That maybe the most important lesson he got was when he got yanked from the baseball game at the Little League World Series. That's God's economy. It's an economy that's hard to understand in in my mind. But it seems to work again and again and again. It's important to understand about these two pieces because the story goes on and it says this, they went into the wedding banquet, the five who were wise and the door was shut. And it's easy to look at that. as like, well, this is about us versus them. And Chuck, I know the five wise ones and the five foolish ones, I can list them for you. And we're gonna make sure they don't come to the banquet. Well, you, we all have both. And and that part of us, again, like it's not to be objectified out there into five people we think are foolish to be internalized in here. Yeah, the five foolish parts of me. Well, that part really doesn't have any interest in going into the banquet. That arrogant, self-dependent part of me just really doesn't have any interest. Like, like when life is going really, really, really well, I I don't think about God much. You know, to be honest, I, I was meeting with a couple yesterday, and, and it was Erica and Chris, and, and I was talking to them, and I. I, I asked couples, you know, each of them has to identify three places where they find God. And it was, it was fascinating. Like the first word out of Erica's mouth was struggle. It was struggle. And we really do. That, that arrogant, self dependent part, it doesn't want, it's not really interested in the banquet. So, what we need to think about is we need to think about that foolish part and how do we kind of like just put it aside? Just put it aside. Now, last week, for those, we have so many first-time people here today. I got a huge kick out of using that energy ball last week. It was like that silly, fun thing to play with. So I want to play with it one more time. That's already with you folks. (laughs) Somebody's applauding. That's good. Because it is really cool. All right? So what I need is I need... Four volunteers who are gonna come on up here. I'm gonna label you and we're gonna talk about it and then we're gonna use it to, to make a point here about how we move on and we put that part away. So so if we could have four people I can't see you, so I just have to trust the four people are gonna be brave enough to raise their hands and come on up. So four of you come on up. Give them a round of applause, folks. It always gets them moving. Come on up right here. Good to see. You. Good to see. You. Good to see. You. We all right. There we go. All four. All right. Dave, I want you and Andy right up here. There you go. And you two just face each other like this. And you two. You remember seeing this from last week? I wasn't here last uh, week. All right. All right. So you just hold one piece of piece, and then you guys all hold hands. Hold hands, hold hands, hold hands. Up, oh, go, go with the other arm there. There you go. All right. Now, see how that happens, right? Now you break the connection. Boom, and it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. So we've used this. All right, guys, you can cut it out. <laughs> we didn't practice before. So, so we're we're looking at a four part series. I'm going to label them again, just so we we get this straight. So the first is Dave. You want to put that on. The first is listen. The second is true. The third is kind. The fourth is useful. Really? Yes, really. (laughs) And number five is the skeptic. (laughs) So let's take a look again. Like, if you guys all hold hands, right? You got to be touching the thing, right? You all hold hands. And we talked, we talked last week. There you go. About if it breaks, like if, if I'm listening, but I'm not saying what's true, the connection breaks. If over here it's true, but it's not kind, connection breaks. If I'm listening over here and it's kind, but it's not really useful. Is this cool again? Like I really, we may need to use this every week for the rest of the history of New Church Life. And can I show you guys the really goofy part? This is the part for those of you who weren't here last week. Watch what happens when I do this. <laughs> I think that's really cool. So, so what I want to talk about is I want to talk about this break right here. See, remember, I am the please say the s word. I am the skeptic. I'm the skeptic. The skeptic comes in and it's like, you can't be true and kind at the same time. you know? So the skeptic actually breaks these and then sits in judgment. How many of us can, all of you raise your hand, you all do it. Thank you, Dave is the only one not being honest here. So, so, you know, the skeptic part of us looks, he's like, you can't match these up. There's no possible way. See, skepticism, folks, look at this line here. I think this is really important. Please do not confuse, please say it with me, please do not confuse Skepticism with wisdom. Could we say that one more time? Please do not confuse. Skepticism with wisdom. Because this is the problem. The skeptic in me standing right here thinks like, I'm pretty smart. These things will never go together and I'm going to tell them why. See, isn't that crazy? But what we have to do is we actually have to let it rejoin. All right. Thank you, folks. Give these guys a round of applause. (laughs) So how, how is it that we can actually start to really pull that together? Like, how do we actually do that? So, so as planning a sermon, we plan sermons way far in advance, and it, then it goes to this, this sort of this winnowing process. And, and I was thinking, yeah, I really want to drive this home because it's so important. And very fortunately, a dear friend of mine, Corey Boyce, had said, "Chuck, I'm going down to this this charter school called Youth Build." and would you like to come with me, see what they're doing? Now what YouthBuild does, YouthBuild takes Philadelphia students, I mean, the the dropout rate in Philadelphia's public schools is like between 30 and 40 percent. I mean, that's just like unbelievable. And what they do is that they take those kids who've dropped out, who've been out of school for a while, they bring them back into school, they give them a high school degree, a career training, they, they try to really push them towards becoming contributing members of society. A wonderful, wonderful group. And all of a sudden, like, we go down there, and this story that I'm reading is like, there it is. There it is. There it is. This beautiful part about this, this real wise approach to things. That's helping people to put the foolish part aside. You know, and, and we, we sat down in a group, Around the table, that's Corey there, the empty chair was mine as I'm taking the picture. But just, you know, just take like three seconds and look at the faces around that table. Conversations happening there. Circuit is getting completed there. It was interesting just to even to get part of this, this, I want to make sure I get this, this, say this right. Just to even get part of this group, like to qualify to go to the school and, and there were, there were moms with little kids there. There were, there were students who had struggled with addiction. There was just about everything you could imagine. They had something called mental toughness week where they had to be awake, aware, and involved. They had to show for a full week that they could show up on time. They could, pay attention and they were interested that's that wise loving part that's that piece over there again like like the parable ends with was stay awake it's that wake part and it was it was a beautiful part because literally like as we're going around this circle these students were saying like yeah i remember the first day when when the alarm went off and i had to be there by eight o'clock do you think a lot of them were interested in getting up for school to be at school by eight o'clock yes or no you think they were interested no, they weren't the least bit interested. But but that was that part, again, that transformative part where, where we have this generosity, but it's very wise, it's very well done. So it pulls people in more and more and more. And it was starting to leave behind, folks, listen carefully, the arrogant self-dependence that we all struggle with. Like, who are they to tell me I should be at school at eight o'clock? Who are they to tell me I should do this or that or the other thing? Who should tell, who are they to tell me I shouldn't be on my phone? See, it's, it's, it's really saying, look, that five will not serve you. We need to move to a different five that actually will. And then after this conversation, we went in and, and we heard their director. They have sort of a big community meeting every week. We heard their director speak. And this is what he said. And I thought, I thought, boy, this is really important to remember. He talked about the word realistic. I've mentioned this before, but I really want to drive it home. He mentioned the word realistic. And he said lots of people will come into this school and they'll see what you folks are doing or they'll see this and they'll see that and they'll go oh, that's not very realistic. It's interesting and I want to drive this home. Again, I mentioned it before, but I really want to drive it home. In our world today, we confuse skepticism with wisdom. All the time. All the time. Anytime I'm a skeptic, I feel like I'm really smarter than you. Because I know why it won't work. The challenge is when we confuse skepticism with wisdom, we hold up this word what is realistic, quote unquote. And when somebody comes to us with an idea, like, hey, how about blah 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 blah? And we go, um, not realistic. What we're really saying, listen carefully, folks, because I, I, like, I, I was thinking about this and it's like, oh my goodness, I need to watch this in me. What I say when I say that's not realistic is I say, you, excuse me, when I say that's not realistic, what I'm really saying is there is no hope. There is no hope. Hey, dad, I'd like to get into an Ivy League school. That's not realistic. What I've just said is don't have that hope. Folks, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. There's no extra energy there. There's no extra oil for the lamp. There's no kindness in that. Yes, it may be technically true. But as the online viewer said, you've taken, you've made it about this instead of about that and the that is the connection. And the connection needs to be maintained. Now, that doesn't, of course, mean that if somebody has a wild idea that, that I can't go, well, you know, that might not work, but this might. I mean, I, I can offer that. But I've got to be really careful of how I use that word realistic. I think that that can get really tricky. See, if I stand over in this place of foolish, and I, and I, my foolish part of me that's arrogantly self self-dependent, Anything is, is silly to me. Anything is, is not realistic. Things won't work if I'm not directly involved in it. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've got to be actually in there. Well, I don't. I don't. So, so I, you know, I'll define realistic in a very negative way there. And maybe there's a totally different way to talk about being realistic. I mean, just imagine this, folks. Imagine this, that you're, you're driving back home or you've got a plane ride or whatever, and somebody somebody tells you a really rough story, like how, how bad life is, how there's no hope, da-da-da-da-da. And, and right after no hope, you're able to go, hey, can I tell you something? When you say no hope, that's not realistic. That's not realistic. There's always hope. There's always a chance. You're always in the game. God's always saying, I love you. All those things are true, have been, are eternally true. Please listen carefully to this. I might take a note on my phone on this. It is much more daring to hope than to despair. It's much more daring to hope, than to despair. And I think more and more we can be called to actually live into that place where where, where kindness and truth can come together. I mean, that's, that's how things actually start to move. And we start to move just being outraged into new forms of kindness. And then kindness can become so much the embodiment of everything we are. Look at this beautiful quote. You continually pray. You continually pray when you are living a life of kindness kindness. with your heart, not your mouth. You continually pray when you are living a life praying with your heart, not your mouth. Like though that life can become, and, and then again, like the circuit can start to happen and we can simply go, don't want to be that anymore. I want to change. So your homework for the week, simple. Let's just try maybe just this afternoon when that skeptical piece comes up, just park it for a little bit. When that part that believes that truth and kindness don't come together, park it for a little bit. Find those words that are true and kind. You know, simple homework. Mindfully share something kind with someone else. I don't know what that is. But find a way to do it. Watch the circuit happen. And just and feel feel what starts to happen in your heart. See, see the story is what starts to happen to our heart is we get to go to a banquet. We get to go to a banquet. I mean, that's what Christianity is about. I mean, isn't that beautiful? It's about a banquet. Not just any banquet, a wedding banquet. I do tons of weddings. They're a blast. They are a blast. That's what Christ is offering. That's the kind of church we have to be. That's what it means to be reconnected. That's what I have for today. Thank you folks so much for joining us. Thank you for being here with us at New Church Live. I know we have a lot of online folks joining us. Welcome, a big shout out to Matt Pennington up in Maine as well as all the rest of you folks. For those of you who are just visiting again, we warmly invite you to join us again next week. You can do it online. would love to have you come on board with our growing online audience. And just thank you folks for being here on this beautiful weekend. So now I'm gonna offer a prayer after the prayer, you'll have an opportunity to say your own prayer, the Lord's prayer as you know it, or to have a moment of quiet meditation. So please join me. Lord, humble and kind, help us, Lord, to understand that in the end, we are imperfect. We're only human. But that, Lord, there is this great endeavor, this great banquet, this banquet this wedding, this feast, this celebration that you are inviting us to. Allow us, Lord, to push aside the arrogant self-dependence that will keep us away. Allow us, Lord, to push aside as well the coding of that arrogant self-dependence. that skepticism. that We so often confuse with wisdom. Help us, Lord, to push that aside as well. And help us to live here in hope. In hope. In hope of a world that finds love and hope of a world that finds healing and hope that we we find the same. And we find reconnection. Reconnection in your name. And it is in that name that we pray. Amen.